Ephesians chapter 2. And we will see what the Lord will speak to us. And you, he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, that track, the world's track, according to that time, that era. We walked according to that world once. According to the prince of the power, that evil master of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, the Apostle, speaking to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, as he says in the first chapter, is reminding them where they came from. It's important to know just how low we were. Unless we become self-sufficient and proud, and have an air about us as if we were good all the time. But that brings us a sense of sobriety and shamefacedness, which is healthy. As is written about women who would be found godly, which can be taken for all Christians. But the mention is there, that the women should not be proud or showing off, dressing in a way that is drawing attention to self, extravagantly, with a focus on fashion to draw the onlookers to the fashion rather than to Christ. This was a context in which the Apostle spoke in his epistle to Timothy as well as the Apostle Peter in his epistle. These are the type of walks that these Ephesians were engaged in and the Corinthians and the Galatians and all of us. The degree to which we engaged in worldly behavior and the department may differ. Nonetheless, we all 
were not under the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, but we were led by another spirit, the Prince of the Power of the Air, very real. And that spirit is working right now in the disobedient children. He's actively manipulating them and controlling them, and they're doing exactly what he says. He has remote control, as it were, over their lives, from their phone calls to their outings to their decisions to the way they spend their time and money and abilities to the way they abuse and waste the grace of God. He has full control over that. They're subject to his rulership. He is their king. Satan is the king of all the people who don't have Jesus as their king. And you see that very conspicuously here because Ephesians chapter 2, in these verses, we're seeing the operation, what's actually happening. It's not simply a folktale, a fairy tale, that if you're not in this beautiful kingdom that is in the celestial city, the kingdom of God, then by default you're in the dark world and we can talk about occultic games and movies and fantasy stories and feelings. The fact is, even more than that operator would control and manipulate a forklift or some apparatus, some vehicle, some machine, has complete control over the machine. The machine merely does what the man inside makes it do. Much more so, Satan gains control because people do not want the truth. And according to the Bible, they're enslaved by that spirit. There's an evil spirit. There's a prince of the heavenlies that is the air. Evil spirits are roaming around, not only in desert places, but in the air. We just can't see them with our human eyes, but they're there. And sometimes some people see them. And those people are shocked. And a number of them, they would relate what exactly they saw, how terrifying it was. And it has an effect on them usually to run to God. But most people are not even aware there's an evil spirit actively working in all the sons of disobedience. Anyone who disobeys God, an evil spirit is working in them. There's no question about that. It's not they felt like doing this and so they went with it and they thought it would turn out good. There's an evil spirit behind it because they've given the control over to him. And this is who we were. Again, not everyone was doing the same thing. Certainly the Apostle Paul was not doing the things that he often names, these gross sins, overtly corrupt. However, he was not a man subject to the Holy Spirit. The way he became 
after he surrendered to the Lord Jesus. And so he had a measure of that. We just don't have any record of that in detail. But certainly he includes himself. But he was among the more righteous ones because he was consciously striving to keep the Jewish law. And that's why he could dare say, better than my peers, I was zealous for God's law. So we must never mistake that to mean he was just talking and he was just corrupt like everybody else. No, he wasn't. But he was in corruption. We see how every single one of us, even the most noble among us, quote-unquote, apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ reigning over our lives, we were under the Lordship of this devil who's working actively in the sons of disobedience. What is disobedience? Disobedience is not just breaking the law of man and ending up in jail or being grounded in a family for dishonoring the parents and violating the family rules. Disobedience is a willingness to pursue one's own way regardless of what area and to what degree. Any decision not pleasing to God is, can it be obedience? It's disobedience. That's why God reveals himself and his will. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. In chapter 1 he says, he's revealed it. Now, Paul is going to appeal by the Spirit of God. If you know all of this and you know the operations of heaven and hell in this battleground, the earth, in the heavenlies, in the atmosphere, how could you lie any longer? How could you be bitter any longer? Don't you realize? Those are the traits of people who have this spirit for their king, this evil spirit, the prince of the power of the air. How important for us to keep hearing the truth lest we slip across the border into the kingdom of darkness and think we're okay because we look Christian. We feel Christian. Among whom, verse 3, also we all once conducted ourselves. Doesn't matter how old we are. We all once conducted ourselves in the strong desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Again, we must remember that this lust of the flesh does not necessarily mean only sexual immorality. It means desires of me wanting to do whatever I feel like. And nobody can tell me no. That pride, self-will, we also conducted ourselves in self-will. Strong desires of the flesh. Fulfilling. We went and did it. The desires of the flesh. In other words, if somebody wants to spend their money 
on something without consulting the Lord or getting his approval, or at least making sure they don't have any scriptural prohibition for that, such as buying liquor. I want, I see, I get, and I do. No one can stop me. This is how we used to live. It could be buying clothing or some gadget or whatever. In terms of acquisition, I desire this. I don't have to consult anyone because I'm living for me. I do what pleases me. You do you and I do me. That's the philosophy of the world. That's how we lived, didn't we? We saw or we heard and through the eye gate and the ear gate and the feel gate, the nose gate, the mind gate, we opened the door to go in and out and find pasture, not green pasture, but filthy pasture, to do whatever we wanted to do among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the desires of our flesh, fulfilling, we made sure it got done, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. The believers were just like the others, were just like the others. We should be able to say, I am not, like the others. What are the others? People who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Many, many people say, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. But if they're not under his Lordship, rather they're obeying the desires of their mind and their flesh and fulfilling those things. The Bible says they're children of wrath. The wrath of God is over them. What a revelation. How clearly a person can know just by reading the first three verses of Ephesians 2. What God thinks about them. What God knows about them. Whether they really belong to him or not. We cannot conduct ourselves as we once did. In the strong desires of the flesh. The strong desires of the mind. Otherwise we'd be Still under wrath. Not free. Chains. Oh, chains. The chains that make us cry and howl and wonder why I feel so miserable. Because the chains have not been broken. And there are those whose chains have been broken by the power of God. By the laying on of hands. By the anointing with oil in the name of the Lord in the presence of God, by the prayer and the prophecy, by the gift of healing. Chains were broken off. They knew it. They felt it. But they were not thankful. And so they went back and got the chains on themselves again. It 
spite of all this. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love, there's no way. There's no way we can get out of sin. No way we can get out of self. It's too strong. That prince of the power of the air, with his remote control, we have no way to stop him. No way. Somebody stronger than him had to come. Spoil him. Destroy him. And set us free. How deep is God's love? How great is this love? Oh, it melts away pride and foolishness. Where a person sobers up and say, I can't do this. I can't not only not drink, not only not smoke, not only not do drugs, not only not fornicate and be an adulterer and watch pornography. I can't do any of that. It's lying to myself and to God. I don't want to be part of a lie anymore. Not only do we not do those things, God expects us not to make any decision apart from Him. Which means we need to shut up. Many times, the cure for folly is to first of all shut up so we can listen. In order for that to happen, we need to have time, make time to sit in the presence of God. And as He speaks to us, all, all of the strongest entanglements and enslavement to sin and confusion and depression and anxiety and evil desires and quarreling and fighting, oh, God's word will cut it down and melt it and heal us at the same time. Get up very sober, very thankful, deeply humble, no more impulsiveness, but a patient, step-by-step, following Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, stable life God wants for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. We're coming up to that famous verse, verse 8, grace and faith. We've heard sermons about how those two interact with each other in the exact order, how very meticulously and beautifully God has woven together the fabric of salvation. Every string, every thread, beautifully woven together. There's no confusion. The only people that will be confused about salvation and the means of grace to salvation and the exercise of faith to receive salvation and to walk in a victorious way, the only people who will be confused are the people who are, number one, ignorant because they don't know. Why they don't know could be because they don't read the word or they're misinformed and hear incorrect teaching. Another reason is because they're willingly ignorant, which is worse. They don't want to know. God, I really want to do this. 
Would you stay outside for a moment while I, while I do this? Why hide and run? It's a miserable life to run from God. A miserable life. There are people who physically take off. Others who stay put and they're taking off within themselves. In their own hearts, they're far away from God and they're running and running and running. The heaviest burden to bear is to live under the weight of hypocrisy. God says, decide to be hot or cold. If you want to stay with me, stay with me. Otherwise, leave. This is what God says in essence. Either be hot or be cold. But don't be lukewarm because that's disgusting to me. Oh, Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? He's so true. He's so faithful. He's so true that he'll tell us the whole truth because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be self-deceived. But the same people who are dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. Thank you, Jesus. And raised us up together. What did he do with us? Did he put us in a compartment in heaven somewhere or in some place where, you know, you can stay in the periphery? This is it. This is absolutely amazing. The people who are dead in their filth, among whom all of us were, Suddenly he made us alive. Suddenly he made us alive. In the rapture, it's written that the last trumpet will sound. The Lord shall descend with a loud voice, the voice of an archangel. The dead in Christ will raise up, be raised up together in the midair to join God. Suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, that's what happened also when we got saved. Suddenly, one moment we were under wrath, headed for hell. The next instant, we're transported and raised up together. And we were made to sit together. Sitting is a posture of rulership. It's a posture of fellowship. It's a posture of rest. Raised us up together. Where? Where did he put us? With one of the patriarchs? He made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see that mentioned twice in the first chapter. The heavenly places. Not the heavenlies, which is the atmosphere and space, but the Heavenly places. This is heaven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. The heavenly places where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We see that in Ephesians one twenty, beginning with 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's heaven. We have been transported instantaneously in the spiritual realm where our spirit man is seated together with Christ. Seated together with Christ. Hallelujah. Seated together with Christ. Not standing. Not running around. Scrambling. Faceless among a myriad of people. Seated together. A very definite position. It's so beyond us to understand humanly. We need the Holy Spirit to give us revelation. So this is where we're seated. In the heavenly places. That in the ages to come, Ephesians 2.7, do you believe any of this? Sometimes we can read the scriptures and the apostles seems to be going on and on and on with all of these high words, these superlatives and we get lost. And it seems to go on and on and on. How much more is there? It's so big. It's so vast. It's so deep. It's so high. I don't know if I can take it. That's how big it is. And it's just a glimpse of it, what God is God has done and is doing and will do. Can we afford to live apart from the will of God? What a waste. What a sorry state to be in. To have tasted Christ and be confused about God's will. When it comes to staying pure, having the fear of God, walking humbly with God, seeking Him, spending time with Him, knowing Him, not treating Him as a buddy, blasphemously. There's my living God who's love and also consuming fire. Are we fit for the ages to come, these eons to come, when God will show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? Are we fit? Are we ready? What else are we doing if we're not preparing for that? What has deceived us? Taken the ultimate treasure and the glory, not for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, years, but eternity. Where should we emphasize our focus and our efforts? Should it not be in preparing for life with Jesus forever? By cultivating the intimacy with Him right now. He's so good. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's my everything, is He? He should be. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not native faith. It's the gift of God. True, I had to take the gift, unwrap it, and put it to use. But it's still the gift of God. If you didn't give faith, I wouldn't have it to exercise. That's why, although we believe... We have to do the believing. It's not counted as a work toward salvation. Because even the faith is a gift of God, which we merely, by our free will, exercise. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. When we read the scriptures, over and over and over again, God will keep saying, be humble. Be hum- Do you know what humility is? It's not what you think it is. God communicates that. We see very clearly or what we know as humility in this world and even in superficial Christian experience is not what God is talking about at all. It's a deep humility that first caused me to shut my mouth and listen carefully to God's instructions and consider what I speak before I speak to people or text people to be led by the Spirit of God and even text back to people to make sure it's God and not my will, not my disturbed spirit that's firing a text back, not my insinuations. How we can live to please God in all things. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Two things that wisdom dictates, especially when we read the book of Proverbs. One is to slow down. Next is to shut up or shut down. Not shut down where we lose our sense of orientation in this world or who we are, our identity. No. Shut down the sense of shut the flesh down because it is quick to respond. But a man that is led by the Spirit of God, a woman that is led by the Spirit of God, if we want to know the truth, if we can take the truth, the truth is that person will be waiting on God to know how to act and to react. Is this what we hear in churches today? Is this, the, is this the experience of the average Christian? No. No. But what shall I do? Shall I flock with people who make their standards and take the Bible and make it the way they want it to be and then have fun, coffee and donuts, and Christmas caroling? And What do I say, Jesus? I used to be a child of wrath. Lord, you saved me, Lord. I may be 65 years old. I may be 75, I may be 17, maybe 51. But I must realize, this may seem strange, this kind of teaching and preaching, but it's the absolute truth. I must realize, it's up to me to decide to go all the way with Jesus or to half-step with him. Because his purpose is good works. We are modeled and fashioned by the Father after his own image. Once in creation, second time in recreation, when we're born again. It's a high calling. It's a beautiful calling. A person who's the quote-unquote average Christian has a high calling. Every Christian has a high calling. Because you know what? The blood of Jesus was not shed only for the pastors or especially for the pastors 
or in a special way for the pastors or the evangelists or the prophets or the apostles or the teachers or the missionaries or the administrators and some Christian entity. Same amount of blood and the same precious blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was spilled for every believer. That's why every believer has a high calling. Because the high price was paid for every believer equally. Hallelujah. How precious we are to God. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Not to be self-centered. My pension. My retirement. My house. My vehicle. My lawn. My garden. My food, my kids, my spouse, my hobby. Still a self-centered person. Even the best mother, Christian mother, the best Christian dad, father, the best Christian brother, Christian sister, Christian husband, Christian wife, the best of them. In the sense that they really take care of their own. They even sacrifice for their own. But have they gone beyond those borders? Because the Lord has given us many commandments to speak. Because we believe and because we love. Because we believe in the living God and in His Word. Because we love God and His world. If we don't, we are still self-centered. We may be Unselfishly taking care of our own, and the operative word is own, still mind. But to go outside of the boundaries, it's very hard for many Christians. They say, oh, here we go again. More guilt. It only applies to the guilty, not to the non-guilty. And if we're found guilty by the word of God, by the spirit of God, We must quickly repent so we can avail ourselves of his grace and gain his favor. Because God will forgive us. There are people I know who lived seven decades selfishly and even were on church boards and different things. God opened their eyes. They saw it. I'm no no Christian. I, I really thought I was because I did read my Bible. I did pray and I did Take care of my family. I, I stopped drinking. I stopped womanizing, whatever it is, or I never did that. Or the woman, I stopped uh, wasting money on the magazine and the catalogs. And I turned over a new leaf. And they thought they were reformed. So it's good enough. But regeneration changes a person from the inside out, from the core, where everything is Jesus. Which means not just the lingo and the song, but the act of self-denial following God's will, the high calling. This is Christianity. This is what Paul, by the Spirit of God, is teaching these believers, relatively new believers, in a place where they had full-blown idolatry, immorality, pride and arrogance and all kinds of bondages. People got born again. A person just got born to the kingdom. 
in the hospital, we know there's that melody or some music every time a baby's born. Certain hospitals, we know that. You can be in another place, and all of a sudden you hear that a baby was born. And so much joy. Even for some of the medical staff who may have seen that routinely for decades. For some of them, it's still new and still a joy and a wonder. They're happy genuinely. For someone else's birth, someone else's baby. How God rejoiced. The angels rejoiced when you and I were born again. And how a parent would long to see the baby. And how dreadful to hear. When a person is found outside of a humane existence and the comment is issued by a bystander or onlooker. Look at there. Look at that man. Look at that woman. That, that was somebody's baby. That was somebody's baby. Was that what the parents thought? Oh my God. How much more the Heavenly Father? When we're born again, eagerly desire the sincere milk of the word and then keep drinking that. Take it in. Keep reading the word. Keep hearing the word. Do whatever it takes to keep the word constantly in you, in your system, because only then will you be cleansed and built up and then move on to the deeper, solid teachings where it's no longer repenting over this and that and I don't know what to do in this case. And it's a repeat case. God doesn't want that. He wants us to go forward so that we may be able to enjoy the Christian life and not just keep battling and battling and battling the flesh. He wants us to go on where we become very useful because we're reliable. We really surrender to Him. And our joy is full every time we know we did the will of God. And it becomes not only a habitual pattern, it becomes our lives. Hallelujah. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, Asia Minor, this church at Ephesus, not only the Greeks, but also here, what is now Turkey, lots of idolatry, pagan revelries, the gospel just shattered the chains clean off of these people. The devil thought he had them. He was all set on taking them to hell. Here comes Paul by the Spirit of God. And bam, chains come off. They're free. The devil's cringing. He's trying to run. But you know what? He's in the shadows lurking. And he's got new shackles for these people. And so the apostles back with the word of God, directed by the Spirit of God to tell them, don't you get enslaved again. He's coming back. Yes, God is coming back, but the devil is coming back now. You've got to know who you are. Make sure your life lines up with the new identity God has given you. Make a clean break with evil. Therefore, remember, verse 11, Ephesians 2, 11, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, this flesh is talking about the heritage, non-Jews, who are called uncircumcision. 
the Jews knew. Pagans, non-Jews were the uncircumcised. They have no covenant with God. That's what that means. They have no covenant with God. These Ephesians are graciously brought in as you and I were. We're not from the Jewish commonwealth of Israel, as the Bible says. We can't trace our lineage back to Abraham. Not most of us anyway. If not all of us here. But God has called us into covenant. By what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That is Jews. That at that time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Who among us were were born Christian? Anyone? When the survey goes out or the interview, are you Jewish? Yes, somebody says. And the next question is, prove it. My parents are Jewish. End of story. In many cases, if the mother is Jewish, then the child is Jewish. End of story. It's assumed I automatically have a covenant with God, and it's true in part. But only if it is corresponding to a circumcision of the heart, God says. Someone goes to a Muslim and says, are you Muslim? And they said, yes, prove it. Why are my parents a Muslim? End of story. Are you a Hindu? Yes, parents are Hindu. The physical lineage often were the grounds for assumption when it came to religious identity, but not so for the Christian. Sure, there are many, many people over the centuries and even today who consider their children Christian and the children consider themselves Christian because their parents were Christian. What kind of Christian they were, maybe outside of the biblical definition, but they conveniently adopt that. We were no Christians. I was not a Christian. I was an alien from God. I was a stranger from the covenant until I became born again. So the same with you. Well, why do we need to know this? We need to know how God came to us when we didn't know him. How desperately we're under the wrath of God. We didn't know it. Because we didn't know something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. A person can be standing on what they think is solid ground and it may be either quicksand or ice block that will just disintegrate all of a sudden. They thought they were on solid ground, but they weren't. It doesn't change the fact that they weren't, even though they thought they were. We were no Christians. God's wrath was hanging on me and you. Do we understand how serious that is? Having no hope and without God in the world. How can I ever enjoy and have the reverence for God 
and take it seriously when I'm hearing the word of God or reading the word of God or praying and have the fear of God? How can I ever have that unless I know from where he rescued me? I'll go right back to the vomit if I don't have the word teaching me exactly how it happened, how God pulled us off. Hallelujah. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you Ephesians, you people of EFBIM, all of us who are once far off have been brought near. How? By some telegram, some letter, some invitation, some email, by the blood of Christ. The atonement, the shedding of the blood had to happen. Only the blood would be the portal for God the Father to receive us to himself. We can't go near him. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of the Lamb of God. It drew me near to God in reconciliation. For he himself is our peace. Now, the Apostle Paul starts out with the grand plan of God, the purpose, the design in chapter 1. Then he establishes our identity, where we came from. Never forget. Never forget. Because the moment we forget, pride will enter in. We'll be deceived and do something foolish. But this is being laid out. And we keep reading the word over and over in a, over a lifetime. It'll keep cleansing us if we pay attention and understand what's being communicated. Seek God's wisdom. So there's a connection. Then, in the ensuing chapters in this epistle, way before spiritual warfare and the mighty things, pulling down strongholds and all those things, such as in Second Corinthians 10, the spiritual warfare in chapter 6, before that, is a treatment that needs to be given for the sick believers. Namely, stop lying. Stop being bitter, will you? Would you stop arguing? Would you be tender-hearted like Jesus? Would you stop being immoral? Would you stop being filthy and foolish and full of jesting, uncleanness? Would you stop it? Would you make a clean break? Do you know who you are? You're not only not homeless, you're seated in the heavenly places. That's all of us. By the grace of God, as we read, you're holy. You're holy. You can't do those things. You're holy. You're royal. You don't stoop down to the foolishness you once partook in. You abhor that thing. Your royal son and daughter of God. He'll get to that. But this has to be laid out very clearly. That's why he's going deeper and deeper. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. We didn't get peace by ourselves because we said the sinner's prayer. God has become our peace. He's entered in. He's invaded our, our lives. We're something different altogether. And if we have a, even a hint of immorality, hint of the world, hint of the flesh, then we're not made perfect. That means somewhere we open the door. Enter confusion, complacency, and corruption all over again. But if we are on guard, knowing who we are, where we came from, we can keep all the doors closed. No thief will come in. We'll have great peace and joy.
and doing God's will. And there'll be a production. 30, 60, 100 fold. Not just, oh, I got to take another worm out of here. I have to take another beetle, another insect, another fruit fly, another this and that. I'm just trying to make it. This tree keeps rotting. I keep trying to fix it. It's a constant battle. Is that what God saved us for? There's got to be a breakthrough. And that's what God is speaking. So we can enter into his rest and let the fight be from hell below with all its forces against our holy stand for God, against our loyalty to God, against the love of God working through us. Let all hell come against us and let that be the warfare. Not us trying to pry the shackles off that we willingly handed our hands over to because we did not watch and pray. We didn't separate from that which God hates. The strings are still there, apron strings to Satan. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, the hostility, having abolished, putting an end to it in his flesh. He died on the cross for us. The enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He's talking about the uncircumcised, the commonwealth of Israel. He's talking about the world. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about this law. He's talking about his crucifixion. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile. There's no separate salvation for the Jews and a separate compartment, separate compartment for the Jews and for the non-Jews in heaven. We have the same DNA. We get born again, the blood of the Messiah. One new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. Peter was very, very shocked that God would have him go up there to the centurion Cornelius. Gentile territory. Shocking to him. God does shocking things because we don't understand just how good he is and how loving he is. And how his purposes are beyond our understanding until we get the revelation. Peter got a revelation. This spokesman for the early church, the man who spoke and 3,000 were saved, he couldn't understand it. Sheep coming down from heaven and the creeping things and rise Peter, kill and eat. And, and these men coming and asking for him and he has to go. God said, go. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. Of course, the Cornelius, that centurion, Cornelius and the whole household, people got saved. And that was the official opening of the kingdom doors to the Gentiles. 
For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. Don't think of yourself as a stranger to God anymore. Don't act like it. And foreigners, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? If you go into another country, everybody knows you don't belong there. You go to, go into another neighborhood, even here. You don't fit in. You don't fit the profile. Immediately they know. This person doesn't belong here. And even if they're not physically hostile, you can just feel, not only out of place, but the tension and the, the looks. It's not a pretty feeling to know that I'm among strangers. I'm a stranger. No friend over here. Would you feel comfortable? Of course not. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How many people, minorities, of different races in different countries? We didn't read any research report or any survey. We went through it. Many people were picked on. They were slandered. Racist remarks were hurled at them. They were denied basic rights. Different countries, not just in the United States. Many suffered. And after a generation or two, it becomes easier for many. But that feeling of not belonging is not a good feeling. And that's how a person can feel but the encouragement is, you belong to God because he saved you through his blood. You've been taken from far away and brought and seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. You've been built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself. Look at the, the assimilation and the incorporation, the integration and the complete nation that comes out from this. Now I'm a native. I'm a native in the kingdom of God. It's very, very tremendous, very deep. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, members of the household of God, fellow citizens with the saints, in whom the whole building... He's using all of this, establishing a clear identity so we know how to behave to bring glory to God and to be productive in the kingdom of God in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple, holy temple, holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for dwelling place of God in the spirit. This meeting is being recorded. The end goal is tabernacle. We're going to end up living with God forever. And right now, God is living in us by His Spirit. And right now, we are His dwelling place by the Spirit. Very, very deep concept of abiding in Him. Our Father's done it. 
When it comes to the word of God, whether we're tired or sick, depending upon our spiritual maturity and the degree of affliction, we can either break through that and say, this is the word of God. Every bit of it I was told in 2 Timothy 3.16 is God breathed. It's profitable for me. It's profitable for me. Every bit of it. And if I hear it expounded, the Spirit of God is speaking to give me a deeper revelation. I must eat this because I desire it. And God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the problem at hand that's getting my attention. If like Mary, I receive what God has. Because regardless of age, gender, occupation, or preoccupation, whatever it is, we're all in the body of Christ. And today, he's given us from Ephesians 2 something to grow us into the maturity of the fullness of the statue of Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father of glory, thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your mercies. We thank you, Lord, for being with us. We thank you, Lord, for leading us, Lord, as, Lord, you gave this to me before the meeting, Lord. Just the book and the chapter to build the body of Christ up some more. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, my Father. How we need to be in your presence more often. Give ourselves to your love and the fear of the Lord so that we can never fall into a trap. Hallelujah. And we can be those people who you know will be able to carefully edify others and be used by you to help others to get free who don't know their identity fully, who don't know the riches of your word, who don't know that they can have a life of spiritual productivity in your kingdom, Lord, with no going back and forth from one kingdom to the other. Thank you, Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for a Savior, our blessed Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for the comfort you give through your scriptures. No matter what is happening, our Father loves us. We're safe in your arms. You'll take us to glory. And nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. So long as we abide in your word. Thank you, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.